So uh, week two of prayer room. Amazing. Um, again, I'll reiterate what I just said in worship. Church, church, if this is uncomfortable to pray, I get it. If it feels a little bit weird and you don't necessarily know what's going on, yeah, it is a little bit foreign. To be honest, we haven't really been a part of this either. We're just riding the wave and, and letting God take control. And yes, we have some, some structure to what's going on, but we're just gonna we're just gonna let God do what he does. And um, I gotta tell you, if you call this place home, like I know prayer room is on Saturdays at eight and it's your one day in your life that you get to sleep in. If you have kids, they wake you up anyways. Um, I don't get to sleep in with kids. But but you have no excuse. Like, if this is home, get here. Get here. Prayer room is powerful. Powerful. It sets the tone for the whole weekend. So we've been in this new series called Simple Ones. Someone say Simple Ones. Oh, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. And uh, today, today uh, I'm really excited to speak with you guys just about something that we've been talking about here and there as a church, have been touching on, but today we're going to do a deep dive into a, a topic that is, I think, vital for your course and mine. But we got to start with this. This simple one series is about the book of Proverbs. Pro Proverbs. That's funny. Proverbs. And uh, wisdom. Wisdom is found all throughout that book. Wisdom is a beautiful thing. Wisdom is to be cherished above pretty much all else. It is greater than any silver or gold. And yet there's a problem, I think, in the church that wisdom is a forgotten and ignored pursuit amongst believers. That we want to, uh, I don't know, start this journey with Christ and walk on, on this journey with Him for the rest of our days, yet we ignore, actually disregard wisdom from most importantly here we most we mostly disregard it from here most of us don't even read it and then whenever there is wisdom sound biblical wisdom given to us it's hard to hear and we most often don't follow it and so wisdom is a forgotten pursuit amongst the church am I speaking to anyone I asked a serious question to someone uh, one of my friends I said have you ever how, how often do you pray for wisdom? And they said, I have never asked God for wisdom. I don't shame them for that answer. But that's, that is a beautiful, transparent statement that really reveals to us that we're missing something really big in the word. Amen, church? And let me say this. I know we can easily say, oh, how dare they? No, no, no. Please get the plank out of your own eye. That person's willing to be transparent. I would be willing to say that the majority of us have had the same experience. We never have asked for wisdom. So we gotta talk about this. Wisdom is a forgotten pursuit. How long will you, who are simple, I, uh, I was talking with my beautiful friend Kevin over here. He's like, well, you know, I love that verse, but make sure you give some clarity. There is something beautiful to a simple life, right? Not all the extravagancies, not all the craziness. There's something beautiful to the simple life, but he's talking here about a simple-mindedness. How long will you who are simple-minded, still operating like you were whenever you didn't have the Lord in your life? How long will you who are simple, love your simple ways? I wrote in my Bible, I, I'm not going to show you today, I wrote, oh my, dot, dot, dot. Oh my, dot, dot, dot. How long will you love your simple ways? 
you're in the kingdom now. Those simple ways, we got to move forward. We got to find wisdom. We're going from strength to strength. Amen, church? We're diving into deeper understanding. There's going to be fresh revelation given to you, but we got to ask for it. How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? He opens up. Solomon opens up with that in that book. I was blown away the day I read it. I actually started crying. I was like, I'm so simple. (laughs) I'm an emotional person. But how long will you love your simple ways? It's time to move forward. It's time to gain wisdom. And in the pursuit of wisdom, we'll also be pursuing Christ. Amen? They go hand in hand. I have a question for you that we asked last week, and I'll ask the same thing again. Can we trust in him and yet, at the same time, trust in our own understanding? Let me say it again. Can we trust in him and yet, at the same time, trust in Nick Miller's understanding? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Remember, this is all centered on Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So as we trust, we lean not. If we're leaning on, trust not. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I pray today that you would cast aside your understanding and seek wisdom and trust God more and more as we talk about this topic. In all your ways, you simple ones, my simple one, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. It's one of the things that uh, one of the things that I I think is really incredible about God is that he, he promises to guide us, but sometimes we go to God as like a genie and a GPS when really we just need to submit everything to him and he will take us to the place that he wants us to go. Not in our own effort. Relax. You don't need to forge your path to your destiny. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Lean not on your own understanding beautiful thing is, is if you feel that you don't have wisdom, and wisdom we talked about last week is heavenly knowledge applied. Knowledge received from heaven applied to your life. If you don't have wisdom, wisdom is actually a promised gift to all believers that would ask. In fact, God says he's going to generously give it to you. God, I don't know how to handle my family troubles. I need wisdom for this upcoming conversation. I will give it generously to you. I am above my head in finances. I can't breathe. How do I do this? I will give you wisdom. I will give you wisdom. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know what the heck's happening. God, I need your help right now. Give me wisdom in my conversations. Yeah, he'll give it to you generously. Amen, church? Look at this. James 1.5. He opens with this. He writes this. James is like crazy. If you read the book of James, it is deep, deep, deep. If any of you lacks wisdom, he opens up with, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Um, That doesn't mean he gives generously to all who are perfect. He says, I don't care where you're at in life. I'm just going to give it to you. I don't see any fault in asking this question. I will give generously the gift of wisdom, and it will be given to you. That's a promise. So if you need wisdom today, you're facing some things, God is going to come through. And so today, we're talking on a topic. I know we've kind of sprinkled on it before throughout the course of our our church life here. But today, we're going to be talking about the fear of God. Someone say, oh, boy. Oh, boy. I was talking to some people. Sometimes I feel like uh, the word of God is like I I put it on a plate and hopefully like it works. Uh, Today, I'm just bringing the bazooka out. Good luck. Hopefully, you make it. Okay, here we go. 
Yeah. Joey B. Hey, he's cold. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm excited about the Super Bowl. Joey B. Look at this kid. 25 years old. He's younger than me in the Super Bowl. Anyways, wisdom. Wisdom that builds an unshakable faith life begins with the fear of God. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus says in his most famous sermon, he says, all who would hear these words and hears them and does. Thank you, folks. All who hears and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, an unshakable faith journey. Wisdom that builds an unshakable faith life begins with the fear of God. That first. Look at what it says in Proverbs 1-7, that very opening of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of this place. Without the fear of the Lord, you will not find wisdom. I'll tell you that. You'll find philosophies by some brilliant minds, but no, not wisdom. Not wisdom. And so I usually start with a funny story. I usually like have something like that tie in and everything. And today with the topic of fear of God, I don't really want to, I, I, would you mind if I just kind of dove right into it? Because this is, because this is a, this is a term that we maybe if you've been in church for a while, whatever, however you grew up, if you've been in church for a long time, I'll tell you what, we can, we can be reading this for years and years and years and still not understand fully the concept of the fear of God. And what it means. And if you've been in church for a little bit, you would understand that fear of God can kind of, I guess, essentially mean reverence and awe. But sometimes that definition, like, I get that. Yay, thank you for saying it in core circles. That gives me a lot of insight. But what does that mean? What does that mean for me? Fear, reverence and awe is a great definition. It's perfect of the fear of God. But what does that mean for me? And so I wanted to give some clarity to all of us here today. There's two aspects of this. There's fearing God, and there's the fear of God. Fearing God is this, the terror that produces distance and rebellion. The terror that produces distance and rebellion. Oh my gosh, God can never love me. Have you ever heard or might be this person who has said, oh, I can't step into church. It'll, it'll light on fire. And then what ends up happening is we further distance ourselves from believers. We want nothing to do with any scriptures, nothing to do with Christians, and we go and rebel. Why? Because I'll tell you this, even those who don't believe can recognize that Jesus is perfect and holy. Because we have an understanding in this world of, of like a moral compass, and we can recognize that Jesus is perfect. Even atheists would say, yeah, that moral code's pretty, pretty great. Yeah, love people who persecute you. That's a nice idea. But when you're not fearing, you don't have the fear of him, you become distant, and you become rebellious. I'm afraid of the consequence of not living this perfect life I'm afraid my dad is going to be really upset with me, so I'm just going to go book it to Vegas and be debaucherous. Talk to the Corinthian church. The fear of God is the trembling that produces closeness and obedience. Someone say obedience. Not just closeness, but also obedience. This would be this type of example. Um, my dad is an unbelievable contractor. I own a house. Uh, I have such reverence and awe for the way that my dad leads his life 
and the, the skills that he has. He's incredible at what he does. And as beautiful as that is, do you know sometimes I get afraid to do things on my house because I might not do it up to his standards. And so what do I do, Dad? Hey, man, uh, how do you do this? And my how do you do this is then followed by, can you just come down and help? <laughs> right? Because I don't want to do it wrong because if you mess with plumbing, you're over. And if I tried doing all my own electricity, this one time I would like hit a socket. No, I'm not messing with that. Call the pro. Dad, I need you here. I don't want to mess around with this. Help me build my deck, please. I'll get you some pizza. The trembling that happens when you're not close to your father. Oh, no, 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 I need, I need my dad. I can't do this without him. He's so great. He is so incredible. I don't want to move without his approval and without him in it. Trembling. I love that word, trembling. Trembling, we always view as a, a bad connotation. Oh, no, I don't ever want to tremble in front of anyone. No, no, no. When you see God and how good he really is, oh, yeah, you tremble. <sighs> he's that big and he's that good. And it produces closeness and someone say it, obedience. Does that give some clarity on to what the fear of God is? He's so good, how can I live life without him? And the fear of God could perhaps maybe be said like this, I'm afraid to do life without him. I'm afraid to do it without him. I'm afraid to do it without him. And so the question for all of us today, and you might be in different stations, you might be in different places, that's all right, we're all on a journey, but my question to you, for you to consider within your heart is this, am I afraid of God or do I have a fear of God? Am I afraid of God or do I have a fear of God? I didn't plan on talking about this, but I'll talk about it. It was uh, December 10th, 2013. I was, oh gosh, I was young. I was young. Okay. And uh, someone called me to go up to IUP and visit a nice fine lady. And I was like, hey, I'll come visit real quick. Okay. So I get in my car. Get in my car. It wasn't Emmy. It wasn't Emmy. Okay. Gonna make this happen. So I get in my car. And uh, my pastor at that time. He asked me to drive him up because that evening we were going to do ministry and we were going to go and, and, and lead worship and, and preach and, and teach the gospel to the IUP campus and change lives. And so I lied to him and I said, oh, in my rebellion, I lied to him and said, oh yeah, I'm doing homework. I lied. I lied because I wanted what I wanted. And I didn't have much time because I needed to make it to worship practice. Come on, guys. Nick, come on, bro. And in the midst of that drive, I was driving 85 on a 55. Dumb. Dumb. I hit some ice, and my car got out of control, and I ran into the side of a hill. I flew out of the windshield. And uh, I remember I woke up standing up, and this car, this car had stopped to pull over. Thank God, praise God, that like there wasn't a car coming on. I went across the road, hit a bank, flew through the front window, woke up standing up. This woman, like I was really cold, it was snowing out. This woman pulled uh, her car up and was definitely calling 911, but I'm like punching her car. Let me in, I'm freezing, let me in. This dude just grabs me, puts me in the back of his truck, I pass out. I wake up, I wake up in the ambulance. 
and it hit me. I looked back at my car for one second. It was flipped over, crunched and everything. I looked back at the car and then I got into the ambulance and I started bawling my eyes out. I will never lie like that ever again. No, no, no. I started praising God. They were like, son, what's your phone number? Praise Jesus. Who do we need? Where do we need to take you? Praise God. Yeah, call my dad, 412. You know what I mean? And I started ministering. I'm talking like preaching the gospel to people. He saved me. From, let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, that was the moment that I decided to put lying to rest. I wasn't going to lie anymore. I think if you know me, I'm perhaps sometimes too honest. But there's something that happens when you look God in the face and you're like, whoa, you saved me, you rescued me, you're that big. Yeah, I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm drawn close to you. I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. And so even in the hardest conversations when I make mistakes and when I mess up, I'm transparent like that. Nah, mm -mm, not going to play. Not going to play with a lie. I could have lost my life. Nope. Trembling that produces closeness and obedience. Amen? I want that. I want that so that I avoid the car flipping. Can I say that? I want that trembling. I want that closeness and obedience so I avoid flipping over. Amen? And so Adam and Eve, we're going to jump into the Word. Go ahead, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. If you guys know about the Word of God, this is the wonderful eating of the fruit. Yay. Adam and Eve, they begin with reverence for God. But they end up afraid of God. They begin with reverence. I wanted to show you this. Before we jump into chapter 3, I want to show you a little bit of chapter 2. Adam has the privilege of walking and doing life with God. Could you imagine how jealous I am? I would do anything for 30 seconds of physically walking with God. Anything. Now the Lord had God, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. He came up with the word duck. Good job, dude. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Duck. So, the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. I just want to display that God was so powerful. Look, he's bringing all these animals. I formed everything. Look at how special this is. I'm doing life with you. I'm talking with you. And how, how amazing. Can someone tell me how amazing that would be to walk with God like that? That would inspire reverence and awe. Imagine seeing God walk with you. And forming these animals. You can put this up there. Imagine seeing God walk with you and forming all of these animals and including you in his plans. Not only that, God didn't just show off. He said, hey, why don't you jump in and name some of these things? For me, that would inspire awe and reverence. Am I the only one? You see him commanding everything, forming everything, and he brings it to you and says, hey, let's do life together. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Awe and reverence. He then goes on to cause man to fall asleep, takes a rib, takes a rib out of his body, forms Eve, and there's the first marriage. Go and be fruitful and multiply. Yes, I will do that. Mm -hmm. And so, then we get to the chapter three. 
Someone say, now the serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want to stop there. Isn't that interesting that the word of God actually gives distinction to the serpent? The serpent was certainly cunning and compelling. Can we also say the same thing of the enemy? And that's why people get caught up. Because sometimes I feel like people want to look at the devil and say, uh, he doesn't have any power and he's like weak and weird. And no, the devil is compelling and can pull people in, draw us in. He's cunning. He's different. He's different. I don't want to give him power, but he's definitely, let's acknowledge, he is different. And so the serpent is in the garden. He's definitely compelling and different, cunning. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Can I, uh, can I tell you that the interesting thing, and this is, I want to speak to, to men here. Um, do you know that God gave that instruction first to not eat of any tree of the, uh, in the garden? Do you know that he gave that to man only? He gave that instruction to man only. Do you know what the word says? That we are to wash our wives with the word. So the serpent is going to the woman who wasn't there at the initial investment, the initial command. Did the husband teach her? Other question might be, wife, did you listen? So that's both sides here. But what an interesting thing. The serpent knows to go to the person who didn't hear it in the first place. Shall not eat from any tree. Then he formed woman, and now the serpent is attacking woman. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the one that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will certainly, certainly die. She got the command wrong. Did she quote God's words precisely? Church, can I tell you that this is the most important thing in your life? Church, you have to learn this. Especially if we're talking about wisdom, look at how crafty the serpent is, and he just throws that much of a phrase in and can twist you up. You better know this thing. We better know this thing. Amen? Did she understand what God was communicating to her? Again, we talked about, man, did you teach? Did you wash with the word? Husbands, you might not even know. You might not be a theologian, but get the Bible out. Get your wife sitting next to you and start reading together. Be men. Amen? Did she understand what God was communicating to her? Maybe not. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat. Wait, do you guys catch this? The serpent is speaking on behalf of God right now. He won't, he will not die. Not an angel. An angel isn't telling Eve this. The serpent is speaking on behalf of God. You certainly won't die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He is speaking. The enemy is speaking on behalf of God right now. Isn't that terrifying? The enemy can start speak. Can you put this up there, please? Is the enemy trying to speak and give clarity on behalf of God? That's dangerous. Be watchful over what you hear and what you listen to. Be watchful. 
because there are false prophets and teacher. The word says in, in John, it says, it says in 1 John that they come from us. In other words, they've learned our dialogue, they've learned our language, yet they twist it and they don't talk about the blood of Jesus and they don't talk about the salvation that comes from him. And they can twist you up with some brilliant philosophies that sound and even are nearly word for word like this and lead you astray. That's why I always say, please don't lean on me. Please lean on this. I just, I have a message, but this is, this is infallible. Be watchful over what you listen to and what you hear. Amen? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, what type of series, are we in a series about wisdom? So I was reading Genesis 3, and I was like, no, you didn't, God. No, you did not. No, you did not. I've, I, I have read this Genesis account numerous times. And in every time I've read Genesis chapter 3, I have never seen that word. You pass through it. Quick, 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 quick. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, that's also mentioned in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, it did not mention desirable for gaining wisdom. church, perhaps the first transgression was trying to gain wisdom outside of the source, which is God. The attempt to gain wisdom outside of the source, which is God himself. That is the first transgression. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. There is no other source. Someone say, there is no other source. There is no other source of wisdom other than God himself. Please understand that, church. There is no other source. The serpent presented this thing as it would give wisdom and knowledge. And so gain that wisdom for yourself. No, no, I'm not listening to you. I gain my wisdom from his mouth. In fact, it says that in Proverbs, that out of the mouth, God speaks wisdom. I gain wisdom from him. He's my source. And even in the very beginning, that the pursuit of God and wisdom go hand in hand, just in chapter 3. Do you not see that, church? Wisdom and God are paired together. Amen? So, then the eyes of both of them. I'm asking amen because I feel like there's not enough life in here today. Can we get excited about this topic here? Then both of them, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That's what happens. That's what happens when we are rebellious. We become, <laughs> the enemy loves to convince us that this is the best move for our life. And then he shames us and convinces you that you're terrible. What a, what a malicious enemy he is. Let me draw you in and spit you out. Made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound. And they hid from him. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What did we say about afraid of? Distance and rebellion follows. When we pursue wisdom from other sources and not first from the fear of God, rebellion and distance follows. 
And then what ends up happening is it clouds our reverence and awe of him. Some people would just say, uh, let me, uh, you might have said this before. I, I don't know if I really need God anymore. I don't know if I'm like really interested in church. Like, I'm cool. Can I tell you probably why you're cool is because you're searching for sources of life outside of the word of God. And it starts clouding your reverence and your awe for him. And you don't realize nor remember that he is the only thing that your life needs. And you go to this computer screen with uh, naked people on it. And it starts clouding your reverence and awe for him. I don't need church. Hmm. Isn't that interesting how the enemy works? It's been happening since Genesis 3, church. It's been happening forever. The schemes haven't changed. But the Lord God had called to the man, where are you? Let me give you some evidence. God knows everything. And if you think that your sin makes God want nothing to do with you from the very beginning he wanted to draw near and find Adam and Eve he could have said get out of the garden immediately he said no where are you let me come talk to you let me draw close to you God really loves you church he loves us he loves people he loves sinners too enough to send his own son he answered, I heard you in the garden. This is man. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he asked, I'm going to say, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten? Oh, have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Can I rephrase this question in regards to the book of Proverbs and, and this series titled Simple Ones? Let me rephrase that question. Did you try getting wisdom from a source other than me? I'm in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you that could be phrased like this? Did you try getting wisdom from a source other than me? Mm. Man, that's pretty alarming, huh, church? Yeah. The man said, the woman you put me here with, bro, come on, man. No, 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 no. That's where the fights start. Come on, man. The woman you put me here with. You, you put me here with. Oh, what a, Adam, come on, man. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, she put the fruit in your mouth, bro. Come on now. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's true. So what I gather from this story is, is this, and please, if there's anything I want you to take down today, I really, really, really need you, really need you to remember this. We become afraid of when there's a lack of fear of. We become afraid of when there is a lack of fear of. I pray that no one is ever afraid of here in this church. But you got to remind yourself of his presence and how good he is and stand reverent and honor him with your whole entire life. Continue building that relationship so that you never become afraid of. Because there's times even as a believer that you can become afraid of because we're falling away. So I pray that you never get to this place. I want to give you evidence that you can do it. And so there's two biblical accounts 
Two biblical accounts that show us what the fear of God looks like in our life. First one is this. It's about the story of Moses. <laughs> Set my people free. Let them go. Moses was an Israelite brought up in the Egyptian culture and, and underneath Pharaoh. It becomes really powerful and all of a sudden God commands him to go and set the Israelites, slaves to the Egyptians, free. And he goes and he listens and the Red Sea's part and it's crazy and awesome and God does some miraculous things and on their journey, they think they're getting to the promised land because God never fails, right? We just sang that. God never fails. Yes, he never does fail. But instead of bringing them straight to the promised land, right after those waters split, right into the desert. Thank you, Lord. And they started doing some journeying around the desert. And at one point in chapter 9, this is Exodus chapter 20, but at one point in Exodus chapter 19, God says, hey, get Israel ready. Make them consecrate themselves. In other words, lift themselves up, make themselves pure because I'm about to step into the room. So consecrate themselves. Get ready for I'm about to speak to them. Oh, my Lord. God is about to say some words. This is where the Ten Commandments are given. He opens up, God says, he spoke, he starts appearing in a cloud, thunder, and lightning, and he starts speaking. And, and, and I wanted to share this part after the Ten Commandments are given. Go and read this, you can read this on your time. But after the Ten Commandments are given, look at how the Israelite community responds. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, when the people saw thunder and lightning, here's the thing that God uh, reveals in the scriptures through Paul. What was, what was the purpose of the law? For before the law was there, we didn't know that sin existed. And we were just aimless and debaucherous. What the law has actually done is it has established for us and reveals to us that in fact we do sin and we need God more than ever. And so God speaks the law finally. Ten commandments. You shall not kill. Oh boy. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, you don't know what I did last night. Okay. And so all of a sudden God's talking to them and starts establishing the law. And they're like, oh, Dios mio, this ain't going to go well. And when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. And then what? You guys read it. They, isn't that interesting? When you realize that you're sinful and you realize that you are broken in the presence of a holy God, a perfect God, oh yeah, our natural inclination is to distance. Nope, 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 I want none of that. And they were filled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, we don't want to hear from God. You speak to us what he's got to say. You just be the messenger. We don't want any piece of that. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, look at this prayer and this statement. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God, someone say fear of God. That the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Wow. We see fear pulling people away, and then we see the fear of God drawing people close. And the one person who maintained a fear of God in that relationship and in that community, what was his name? Moses. What did he do? The people remained at a distance while Moses approached. Moses came close. So the fear of God, one man had it, and he came close. Amen, church? Do you see what the fear of God does for you? 
you can see that cloud. You can see his, oh, it, I mean, it's, it fills us with trembling. But yeah, I can draw close. Afraid of equals distance. Fear of equals closeness. Amen, church? So I pray that you have the fear of God in your life so that you would draw close to your Lord and Savior. Second is this. Second story is this. Again, in the Old Testament, we go to Genesis chapter 20. I think so. Or 22. Yeah, one of those. You'll get it. You'll see it on the screen. Take notes. So Abraham, Father Abraham, okay, um, Sorry. Just, you know, my mind. It's Genesis 22, by the way. Okay, gosh, come on. Get it together. Okay, when they reached the place. So Abraham was a man who uh, was old. And God came and spoke to him and said, hey, you're going to be the father of nations. God, I am 90 years old. What are you talking about? My wife, she's old too. What are you talking about? God says, no, if, if, if you follow me, I'll, I'll make you father of nations. And they go through this whole process. They fonder, follow him into the wandering in the desert and, and to unknown places. And Abraham is faithful, and he listens to God. And all of a sudden, him and his wife, they do have a child, praise God. He's faithful. And then there's this interesting chapter in chapter 22 where God says, hey, hey, uh, Oh, I have, I have so much to say about this story. Praise Jesus. Okay. He says, hey, uh, you need to bring your son and uh, create an altar. You're about to sacrifice him. Abraham's like, excuse me, sir. You said I'm going to be the father of generations. I am 100 years old, and this is my son. What are you talking about? God makes no sense sometimes, huh? Makes no sense. But Abraham listened. So he started making preparations for the sacrifice and got wood and everything that he needed to go and get the altar ready. Crazy. You're about to kill my kid. What? When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This gets super real. When you have a child, when you have a son, oh, my gosh. So when I look at this, I know it says Isaac, and I don't want to defame that. But when I look at that, I'm like, would I do that with Warren? What? Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, it's about time, God. You just see him standing there. For like 20 seconds, God. Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now that I know you, what? Fear God. Because you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. Hmm. Fear of God is paired with obedience. And here's the beautiful thing is that this was, according to the scriptures, this is the first act of worship. Do you know what worship really is? Obedience. Worship truly is obedience. You want to know how to change this worship culture here? You want to know how to come in with, with some strength and see worship move in your life? Obedience. And, and faith. Trust. Obedience. It's a beautiful act of worship. That's why we get confused. And let me, let me, get, let me go for one more second. 
That's why it's really hard for us to give. And, 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 and it's really uncomfortable for us to give, but when we start giving, we start feeling worshipful in our hearts in a whole different way because it's an act of obedience. The church is fine. We're okay. We're not losing anything. But go be obedient and watch what happens to your life when you worship like that. The promises are fulfilled and he became the father of nations. That's what happens when you're obedient. And so back to the story. And let's go back to this fear of part. When we are afraid of, we operate in a rebellion. But when we have a fear of, we walk with obedience all the way to the point of holding this knife above my son. What, God? A couple things about obedient. We're obedient immediately. Someone say immediately. Don't question it. If he says go, you go. Come with me into the unknown. Yep. I'll go. We're obedient when it doesn't make sense. You want me to do what? Yeah, God's going to ask you to do some crazy things. And we're obedient to completion. And that's really hard for believers. To be obedient in the wilderness for 40 years, that's the hard part. And if I have to be obedient to completion, I will do it. But you only do that when you have a fear of. Does that make sense? And then what does this do, Nick? The fear of God brings to life a relationship with God. You are close and you are listening and you are obedient. Some of us would, uh, hey, I love God. I love God. Actually, the scripture says, those who love me will obey my commands. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Love is not just some gushy feeling. And so obedience is partnered with that fear of God. Closeness and obedience builds a beautiful relationship with God. Today, did we learn a little bit more about the fear of God? It draws us close, and we are obedient. We become afraid of when we're acting in rebellion, and we are far from. Amen, church? So last thing I want to say. What are the fruits? This is an interesting statement. We always think fruits of the Spirit. Maybe there's actually fruits of the fear of God. What happens when you do fear God? Have a fear of God. What happens when I have a fear of God? First is this, and we opened with this. Here's where the book of Proverbs comes in and gives us unbelievable wisdom as to a life that has a fear of God. The fear of God first is this. The fear of God unlocks heavenly wisdom. Straight off, first chapter, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Can I just give you guys a bunch of scriptures from Proverbs that edify that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? Let me keep going. Write this down, Proverbs 2, 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And find understanding. Look at it, Proverbs 2, 5. It keeps on going. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I love that. Knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge of God is true understanding in this world. No philosophies, no brilliant conversations or or dialogues or debates. No, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One truly is understanding. 
This is a fruit of the fear of God. Wisdom's instruction, look at this. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. That's what wisdom tells us to do. They go hand in hand. You find wisdom when you, when you have the fear of God, and the fear of God leads to wisdom. And then I love this, and this is a whole nother conversation, a whole nother thing that we can add, but let me just give you kind of like a, a nugget here. Humility comes before honored. If you want to be honored, humble yourselves and value people above yourselves. You will find great honor. Amen? So wisdom. Wisdom is a fruit of the fear of the Lord. Second thing that I would say is this. The fear of the Lord keeps us from all evil. The fear of the Lord keeps us from all evil. Why is that important? Can I tell you that evil things might feel good? They might give us satisfaction in twisted and manipulated ways. Just as much as there are fruits of the Spirit, which are peace, patience, kindness, love, all these things, the enemy has fruits as well. And the thing that's really scary about the enemy is that he models his fruits off of the fruits of the kingdom, but they don't have the same result. So he's going to give you comfort, but it's going to look different, and it's going to be twisted, and it's going to fall apart. He has a promise of money for you. Oh, but it's going to tear you apart and make you a slave to it. And honestly, all evil leads us to a broken place. Makes us miserable. Am I speaking to anyone here? I know it's quiet. I know it's quiet because this is like a real conversation. And this might be stirring in you right now. Oh, I, well, I participated in evil the other day. Yeah. We need to address that. And the fear of God keeps you, steers you clear of that. When you have that trembling that draws you close to him and makes you obedient to him. It's beautiful. To fear the Lord. Oh, come on. Oh, Nick, I'm about to preach. Okay. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Not who is evil. We don't hate people. But we absolutely hate what is evil. So I'm, I, I'm pumped about wearing this jersey, but do you know that this is one of the most horrendous sex trafficking days around the globe? Billions and billions of dollars in transactions for bodies are done today. I hate that. We're all distracted. It's crazy. And dare, and dare I say that if you don't hate what is evil, you don't have the fear of the Lord in you. If you can look at that and say that that's okay, I don't know if you know this yet. To fear the Lord is to hate evil, not who. We love people. We believe that God, God has great things in store for people. We believe that God can save and rescue anyone, no matter how far away they are, no matter what they've been through, no matter their, their history. We love people. We pray for people. We have to hate evil. If you fear him, you have to hate evil. Corruption, we got to hate it. Sorry. We have to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, it says in the word. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. 
pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. There's a lot of social media users that have some perverse speech. I think uh, I, I deleted all my social medias last month. It has been one of the best. No, 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 seriously. It's one of the best months of my life. I'm this close to saying, hey, if you call Core Church home, please delete all of your social media. I'm that close to, I'm, I'm that close to saying that. It's just, not, it's just not it. It's just not it. There's a lot of hate and division and confusion on it. It's just not fruitful. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil. You can take that evil and get out. So a lot of times the, the community of believers has the approach, let's just love everyone. That's wonderful. But we're also commanded to push out and shun evil. And when something evil is happening, perhaps we do actually have to take an active stance against it. Perhaps we actually have to do something for far too long for the sake of maybe political correctedness or maybe being kind to everyone in the guise of maybe even, oh, being nice and generous to everyone. We actually permit evil into our space and we don't shun it. Perhaps that's why the church has a problem. Because we're not clear. That's evil. We don't hate people, but that, no. But a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil. Fools feel secure when evil is around them. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. I love that. God sent his son to make you right and to make you whole and give his life for you and you've been atoned for through that love. And then the fear of the Lord keeps us from that, which once killed us. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Oh, this is such, I, church, can I be honest? I, I feel this all the time. This, it would be nice to be debaucherous every once in a while. Can I just be serious? It would be nice to be debaucherous. It'd be nice to not care. Truthfully, let me speak something really, 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 really bold to you. I had a, a porn addiction for the majority of my life. There are days where it would feel nice to go back, and I can't. Be honest? Can I be honest with you? There's times where you would want to. And I envy that people can just go and be debaucherous. I envy that people can watch anything and not care for some reason. Don't let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Look at specific words. Zealous for the fear of the Lord. To stir that up, to be excited about that, to do things that cultivate that. Last fruit is this, the fruit of the fear of the Lord. The fear of God establishes the abundant life. There's some times where we get overly concerned about the prosperity gospel, and I get it because people have used and abused some some one-liner statements and have misunderstood things. I understand. But God has many promises for you and for me, and Jesus has come that they may have life and life and more life. You will have an abundant life following him and revering him and living in awe of Christ. You will. I can confidently say that to you. Now, when we pursue Jesus for our gain, that's where we become dangerous. But pursuing him, oh, you will be taken care of in every way, shape, and form. 
The fear of the Lord, look at this promise. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. Wow. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. But the ears of the wicked are cut short. Can I give you an example? I grew up with my family uh, in NA meetings. I, I commend my parents so much because they were hurting and they had addiction. And they went and I was two years old at meetings. It's awesome. It was a good time. Learned a lot of things. It's really sad that those who participate and find their source in a drug cut their life short. Do you all see the physical evidence of that? That addiction can lead to death like that? But it adds length to your life where there is a reverence of and an awe of God. Amen? The fear of the Lord is the fountain, is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. It's a fountain of life. It overflows into you and gives you life when you fear God, when you have the fear of the Lord within you. It is a fountain of life. And perhaps one thing that we should do, and uh, I always think of like prayer room, now that we're, we're really jumping into prayer room, one of the things that we can do whenever we start praying for unbelievers is that we pray that they find or would experience the fear of God so that it would produce in them life. That trembling that draws them close in obedience. Oh, I pray that they have that. It's a weird thing to pray for someone, but yeah. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Look, I can keep going. Proverbs 19, it leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. So, so when we start gossiping and we start trashing people and we get really, like, angry at someone. I was about to say something else. We get angry at someone and we start going and talking. And then you look at them face to face and you feel that feeling in your gut that you just talk trash about them and you're really scared if, you know, Michelle over here would actually open up her mouth and tell her? Anyone ever had that uneasy feeling? That feeling where, oh my gosh, I can't sleep. What if they find out? And then you start forming more and more and more and more and more lies and then all of a sudden you got this web that you don't even know where you're at. And then you're just miserable and you have no healthy relationships and you can't trust anyone and you're always on edge because you started opening your mouth and talking trash. And if you understood the weight of your words, as it says in the word of God, that life and death are in the power of the tongue and you understand that the word says to only speak that which can encourage and build people up, you would shut your mouth. And then what would happen is you go to bed nice and easy. I have no fear that Judd is going to be angry with me. Why? Because I haven't said anything poor about him. I've only had good intent towards him. I've only cared and loved for him, poured out my life for him. I can rest easy when I'm around Judd. I'm, I'm, I'm untouched by trouble when I fear God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm untouched by trouble. Love that. Oh, the book is so good. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches. Oh, there's that word. Riches and honor and life. When you are humble and you fear God, it's wages. The reward is riches. Yeah, you will be highly honored, blessed, and favored, and you will find life. Amen, church? I want to take up more of your time. Whoever fears God, come on, keep going. We're going to keep growing. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. Oh, here's a beautiful promise for you, too. And for their children, it will be a refuge. 
not only will it give life to you, but it will give life to the generations behind you. That is the most important ministry in our church over there. It's worth everything we got. But we also got to have the fear of the Lord in ourselves so that it would be a secure fortress for them too. Because we can only deal with like them for like an hour and a half, but you got them for the other 166 hours. It's your job. Better a little, to wrap this up, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. <laughs> Guys, y'all see this. The fruit of the, the fear of the Lord is that A, you get wisdom. B, you avoid that which kills you. And C, you find life, 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 and more life. Anyone want the fear of the Lord? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so scary when we talk about it, huh? It actually is, dare I say, exciting. It's exciting to have a fear of the Lord. It's exciting. Now back to the beginning. Wisdom that builds an unshakable faith life begins with the fear of the Lord. Can I pray for you guys today? Let's pray. With heads bowed, we're talking about the fear of the Lord. Jesus came died and rose again to set you free. Maybe your entire life you've tried making yourself right with God. You've tried sorting out your own life so that you could be good enough to be loved by Him. Let me tell you the truth. You could not do anything good enough to be loved by Him, but He loves you more than you or I deserve. And so what he said is he said, I look at my son and I look at my daughter. I know that there's sin. I know that there's iniquity. I know that there's brokenness over their life. And so Jesus, God had this conversation with his son. Jesus, I'm going to send you to the earth and we're going to go and rescue that which we created. They don't deserve it. They couldn't earn it. And we're going to pour ourselves out for them. And so Jesus came and lived an absolutely perfect life which is worth reverence and awe. I've never seen anything perfect in my life but Him. Worth reverence and awe. Lived a perfect life, a sinless life so that at the end of His course when He would bear all of our burdens on His shoulder He would be the perfect sacrifice once and for all to set you free forever and ever for all eternity and to give you life here on earth. If that doesn't inspire reverence and awe I don't know what will. Today can I pray that you would, for the first time, <laughs> have the fear of the Lord and you would give your life to Jesus. Scripture says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and you will be saved. Does anyone need rescued in this place on the count of three to begin that journey with them, with Christ, a good, a beautiful journey that is far from evil, full of wisdom and full of life. Does anyone need that today? One, if you need to make this decision, go ahead and shoot up your hand. Two, three, if that's you. No one's looking around. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else want to make this decision? Anyone else? Pray for the fear of God. So good. Hey, if you made that decision, just pray this in your heart. God, I pray for the fear of you. I stand in awe and reverence of you. Let me draw close to you and be obedient to you for the rest of my course. I submit everything that I am. I lean not on my own understanding, but I rely on you for everything. I believe that you died and rose again to set me free, to take my sin on your shoulder and to no longer have me bear it myself. God, I thank you that you died and rose again to set me free. I now confess you and profess you as my Lord and Savior. 
I turn away from my past and I'm ready for my journey with you. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen. Lift up a shout of praise for those who made that decision. Yeah. We're going to continue praying real quick. Can we pray real quick? I pray for those who are believers.